My name is Priscilla Pfeiffer, and welcome to Spark Your Inner Fire, a podcast for artists, performers, and closet creatives. You bring a lighter, and I'll bring the fuel. It's time to spark your inner fire. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Spark Your Inner Fire podcast. I have some special guests today, very good friends of mine. Look at you guys. (laughs) (laughs) Our special guests today, John and Nancy. John and Nancy, thanks for being here today. (laughs) You guys are full of energy, full of energy. You guys are like my favorite comedians. Please introduce yourselves. Tell, tell the audience who you are. I know who you are, but tell the audience who you are. I'm Nancy Ryan, and uh, I'm a stand-up comic, and I perform on the show Ex Burlesque at the Flamingo when it's open. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> I don't know what that meant. Uh, I'm John Bazaar. Uh, I, I, I work at uh, Harrah's at X Country. I'm the host, and uh, I've been around for a long, long, long time. <laughs> how, long you guys, how long have you both been doing comedy? I, wow, why, why not admit it? Why not admit it? <laughs> I started in 1982. Yeah, that's awesome. How about that's that? awesome. Wow. Yeah, that's when Woodrow Wilson was president. When, uh, when did you start? Sure. 1992. Wow. 90, oh, wow. You're like a newbie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm still a rookie. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, yeah. So I know, Nancy, you used to be a skater as well. Right. Yeah, I was a professional figure skater. I retired uh, in 91 uh, from competitive skating. I I turned professional. I was competing as a professional with my partner because I did ice dancing, which is, you know, couple skating. Uh, Retired in 91 and then went into comedy in March of 92. Yeah. What made you make that transition? Well, I was like 27 at the end of my skating career and it was like done. My partner wanted to quit, and um, I knew at that age there was just no point in trying to find another partner and continue, even though I was able to. And um, I just took a waitressing job at a, you know, I was a cocktail waitress in a comedy club, and then I kind of got pushed up on stage one night, and that was it. That was, it was all over. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so did you... Um... Did you did you have any struggles like starting off or did you have any fears transitioning into to going from skating to comedy? Not really. I mean, it was it was similar. You know, going out and performing was not an issue for me. Uh, going up and, and even failing was not really an issue for me. Um, it was uh, it was fun. The, be- the beginning times were really fun because you're finding out who you who you are what your voice sounds like you know because for years i was expressing myself through movement and now i'm expressing myself through words and it was a real interesting transition but not not very difficult at first the difficulties came later so what what kind of difficulties um the difficulties is you know and when i first started comedy i always used to say i'm never going to be the kind of comic that says um, I, I'm not doing this or that or getting this gig or that gig because I'm a woman. I o- always said, no, that's not why. But the struggles became apparent as I continued on that I was in a predominantly man's field, um, uh, kind of like a boys club, you know, of sorts. 
I'm not going to, you know, say any of my failures is totally to blame on that, but there were a lot of struggles to work through, to stand up through and just persevere and, you know, come through it on the other side. Okay. Those were the struggles for me. So did you notice uh, as you progressed later on, as, as more success came on, like I know, for instance, uh, bands will, will have a hit seller record and then it's the second one's harder because now mm-hmm. for the beginning, you know, nobody knew who they were and, and it was all their heart. And then the second one's like, oh, we got to meet that. Now it's like, I feel more pressure to, to meet that, that I've already met, right? Right, for sure. And John's career has taken... Um, a nosedive. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true. I'm supporting the family. No, I'm just kidding. Um, his career has uh, taken so many different turns, uh, a lot different in, as far as successes go. He's very humble, but I'm going to make him talk about the things he's done. Uh-huh. Yeah, don't be shy. I know you're not shy, John. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't even, I don't even know where to begin. I, uh, yeah, I, I never, even, by the way, I never even noticed, um, the, uh, there's a prejudice in comedy, in standup, uh, against women that I never even realized until years later that it's just, I mean, I, it was like, I don't know when it was, but it was, it was years ago when, um, I remember there was a woman on stage in some club in like New York. And she had some very clever lines and I'm standing with the comics in the back and their reaction was kind of, you could tell that they were like, they weren't saying it, but you could tell that they were thinking, I wish I'd thought of that line. I kind of wish. So there was a jealousy. And so, and then that transformed into uh, yeah, she's okay. But you know, the problem is, you know, you know what I mean? So rather than just accept her as someone, as a comic on stage, who's telling a funny joke, it becomes she's a woman comic on stage. And well, you know, she's funny for her, but if it was a guy, it would be, it's all, all that kind of little kind of chatter that happens with a male comic. I never even realized it till many years into being a comic that there is a, there's like an, I don't know if it's inherent, but there's definitely a, uh, a bias against women in, in standup with, from other comics. I hear it's like that in music too for women. Wow, I didn't know that. I didn't know that with uh, with comedy. Mm-hmm. That's oh, yeah. interesting. Yeah, it's, it can be it can be difficult, but the 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 guys that do support are the most amazing guys. I mean, because it, it feels so good when you're sitting there with these with these uh, with your peers, you know, and you're backstage in the green room, whatever, and you're talking, and when they. Uh, they, they make you feel at home. It's almost like a relief, you know? It's, it's like, oh, you know, because there's a lot of times where, you know, you'll get, hey, you know, you did a great job. And then they're back there going, you know, she thought this was funny. She, blah, 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 you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. But um, I hear it is the same, like with musicians too, and female musicians. I, I don't know, like I said, because I'm not a musician, but I hear that it's difficult in that field too. So yeah. By the way, uh, what you were saying about um, musicians and other, I've noticed it was the comics too with their first uh, CD or album or whatever, and then with the second one, they're trying to you know match that originality and that greatness and whatever. I, I have two thoughts on that. One is that you can't do that. What you what you should I think uh, try to achieve as an artist is just 
produce as much work as you can. Just produce a large body of work. None of it's, it's not gonna always be better than the last and better than the last and better than the last. It's like, you can, you think of, a, um, I mean, a great example is Orson Welles. His first movie was, was one of the best movies that has ever been made in show business. You know, Citizen Kane, I mean, people still, like, uh, whatever it is, 90 years later or however long it's been, look at that film as one of the best, and that was his first film. It was his very first film. And then every film he made after that was judged against it, and like, well, but it wasn't as good, and it wasn't this, and he kind of went in this direction. Everybody's got opinions. Every, no matter what piece of work you put out, no matter how good it is, no matter what how beautiful a piece of art it is that you've created. There are just an endless number of losers in their basements, typing on keyboards, saying what their opinion is. But the thing with opinions is that um, I know everybody has one, but very few of them are worth listening to. Very few. Almost none of them. It doesn't matter. Just put out your art put it out there, let it happen, that's what you are. And then you will go back through it and go, oh, this was like, I wrote two books. And I, I look back in the second one and go, hey, you know, it wasn't as good as the first one. And my buddy of mine, my best friend who passed away told me that. He goes, hey, I like the first one better. And I remember I said that stupidly to a friend, a comic friend of mine who had a CD and his first one was just incredible. And he goes, oh, tell me what you think of the second one. And I go, that's eh, good, it's good. I do like the first one better. And I never should have said that. I should have kept my mouth shut. I was an idiot. I wish I could take that back because it was wrong of me to say that. I should have said, this was great, man. It's great. Uh, you know, when's your next one? I mean, that kind of a thing. Because it's your art. And it's like, you know, you're putting out what you're creating. So when somebody really bashes what you've created, it, it's really difficult. And I'm also very careful of, of things I say to people. You know, because first and foremost, you have to remember that they're doing it for the love of it. And then um, it's what they truly believe that they're that they're producing this this thing, this work of art, no matter what it is. And to bash it is just my opinion. Who cares what I think? It's, all, it's almost supporting the thoughts, the very thoughts that they're already having in their head. They're like, oh, yeah, that was already going on in my mind, how bad it was. And you just supported it. Right. I always like to think of Vincent Van Gogh, who never sold a painting in his life. I think he might, his brother might have sold one while he was still alive for like 400 bucks or something, whatever it was. But it was, that was it. And this was, but this was a guy, Van Gogh, I know he was crazy. I know he was insane. But this was a guy who believed in what he was doing and was motivated by his own passion for his own art. This is a guy that lived in a in like this crappy little room in in um Arles Arles yeah Arles France and he would just go out in the field and paint like three paintings and he'd come home and he'd throw them on his bed and he'd go downstairs and he'd get drunk and hang out with everybody and he'd go to sleep and the next day he'd wake up and take some more canvases and he'd go out and nobody's buying these paintings but he knew what he was doing he was creating his own art and he, it's like he just focused on, the, on what he felt was the beauty of his own art. And he just created a whole body of work. And then let, other pe let people, they either like it, they don't like it, who cares? It's, it's, the point is not 
I mean, we all like to get approval from people. I mean, we, you know, uh, it's important for us to, to get some kind of approval because if you don't get any approval, it, it starts to eat at you. But it, you shouldn't worry about too much approval. Just do what you do. And just like Van Gogh, it might take 100 years for people to go, oh, wow, this guy really, this guy had a real angle on this that we didn't even think of. And uh, I think that's, that's with, with all art, with like with writing or art or whatever. Right. And I think for sure that we should have a very tight inner circle of people that we trust to tell us the truth. Yeah. I'm sure that's for, for each other. You probably both can be honest with one another while also being supportive of, hey, I think this would help in this bit that you do or uh, and support each other in that way. And uh, there are those few people that we can trust to tell us the truth, like not your best work. And I think that's okay to have those, but it's a very tight circle and we have to be very careful who we allow into that circle. It's true. It took me a long time to figure that one out. Yeah. You know, especially when you wear your heart on your sleeve, you're just like, you know, and then you find out, uh, I should just, kind of keep this uh, to my close people mm-hmm. and not uh, have to worry about it with others. Yeah. You know? uh, years ago, I was working at a club called Igby's and um, it's, it's since closed, but it was in Los Angeles. It was kind of almost like on the level of, um, of the comedy store and the improv. And um, it was one of the smaller clubs near Santa Monica. I'm on stage, uh, the owner, Jan, great guy. I used to go down there all the time. At one point he goes, he comes over to me, he goes, Hey man, uh, Jay Leno just walked in. He wants to do a set. I got to put him on. Um, who, I don't know who's good. You're the only guy I think tonight is going to be able to follow this guy. So let me put Jay on and then you, and I was like, what are you insane? I'm not following Jay. Let him do it. No, he's only going to do 10 minutes. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? I bet he's not going to do 10 <laughs> minutes. I bet he's going to do a lot more than 10 minutes. And I was, he's like, ah, please, you know, I don't have a lot of high energy guys tonight. Just, just, let me put Jay up and then just go up and do your best afterwards. And I went up and so Jay goes up and he does like 40 minutes and he just, he does well. Um, and then they brought me up and I was just terrified. I was like, I'm, why am I following this guy? This is just so stupid. I don't want to, you know, and I went up and I remembered something that my buddy told me years ago. He was working with, I bet it's a comic you don't know, named Red Buttons. And, the, and he worked with Red Buttons. Red Buttons was an old school comic from like the 40s and 50s and 60s. And he worked with him really late in his career. He's in his 70s or 80s or something. And he had to go on after Red Buttons. And he didn't want to go. And Buttons came over to him and said, hey, anybody can follow anybody. He goes, that doesn't matter that I'm Red Buttons and you're not. You're who you are. I'm who I am. He goes, when you go on stage, you establish the stage is your own in that first 20 seconds. And then you do what you do. And within minutes, the audience is just going to accept it and just go up there and do it. And don't worry about what other people think. And it was really good advice. And I did the same thing when I had to follow Leno. Um, it was like, I just, and I did, it was great. It was fine. It was fine. You know? And I know you had to do that with Robin, Robin Williams. Williams. Wow. She had to follow Robin Williams once. Yeah, I was. Uh, it was a club called um, New York Comedy Club in New York City, and I would get spots there a couple days a week, like two, three days a week. And getting those prime time spots uh, was a was a really good thing to get. 
so my spot was probably for about nine, nine fifteen, and uh, I was getting ready to go on. And I'm talking to the manager, and uh, he goes, "Oh, he goes, wait a minute, Nance. Before you go, he goes, I gotta bump you." And I go, "Why? Why? You know?" And he goes, "Well, he goes, I just, I just need to put on Robin Williams for a minute." I went, "Robin Williams?" I go, "Come on." I go, "Really?" I go, I, I, "Just let me do my set. Put him on after me. Don't do that to me. Come on." And then I hear the voice behind me going, I'm not going to do that long. And I turn around and Robin Williams is standing there. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God. And he goes, I'm just going to do 10 minutes. That's all I'm going to do. Same kind of story. Uh, he went up and it was like 30 minutes of kill. He absolutely destroyed that room, which I don't know how I, It probably sat about 100 people, that little club. And um, I was scared to death. And sure enough, he had worn them out. He had worn them out. I didn't have a fear. I, well, I did fear going up there, but I knew I had to. So I went up there and took command of the stage, but people were done. They were done. They were like, we just saw Robin Williams for 30 minutes. You know, we're, we're finished, you know. But, you know, it's all like, uh, it all builds character. Every small story uh, builds character. And uh, 28 years later for me, you could pretty much handle anything. Yeah, every rough performance you have, it really does make you better. I mean, uh, Nancy and I worked a lot of the same gigs, but not at the same time back in New York and New Jersey. And a lot of them were really rough New Jersey, New York, oh, yeah. like nasty clubs. <laughs> it was just, I mean, it was... Throwing beer bottles. Yeah, yeah. I had an ashtray, one of those old school hard glass ashtray bounce <laughs> off my head during a set once. But what happens is once you've done all of that, you are so much better because you got through it. You went through that fire. It's that where it's like you got through it and you're stronger and you're better for it. And by the way, about other people's opinions, um, years ago, I did a show called uh, Evening at the Improv. I did it a number of times. It was on A&E. It was a big show at the time. It was in the 90s. It was a big pro comedy program at the time. It's called Evening at the Improv. And I, worked with, I was working with this guy. I'm not going to mention his name. But he was a very famous comedian. And, um, and he was a really famous guy. He, he was on a couple of TV shows at that time. And he... I just, I knew we were on the same show. He's in the dressing room. They're putting makeup on him. And I just wanted to say hi. I just wanted to walk in there. And I just, you know, at the time, I was just a, a young comic. Nobody knew who I was, but I managed to get in the show. It was very exciting for me. I mean, I was an unknown working with this really famous guy. I was like, oh, man, this is so cool. And he's in the dressing room. And I come in, and I walk over to him. Hey, man, I just wanted to, I just wanted to, uh, Say hi, my name is John Bazaar. And I didn't get my whole name on And he went like, he, he put out this limp fish of a hand. And he went, I know who you are. Ugh. And it was so mean oh. the way he said it. It was so cruel. And it was like, why would you be that way to some young kid who's just starting? It's just one of his first TV show. Why would you be that way? But that's how he was. Yeah. I know who you are. And it made me feel like crap. But I used it to go on that show, and I killed on that show, and he did not. Oh, that's the best. <laughs> and here's a secret. Amazon Prime has all the evening at the improvs. 
Oh, don't call them that. So if you want to search through seven seasons, he's been on like four of them. Uh, he's been on four. Don't, don't do it. You can see the set. Don't do it. Oh, I would You'll love to. I'm glad you didn't. But he's had an incredible career. Um, back when I met him in 97, I had known all about him because people would talk about him all the time. John comes from an era of comics that came up um, creating what has become stand-up comedy today. I mean, yeah, there, of course, this, you know, stand-up comedy goes way back, but there was that boom in the 80s, and John was at the beginning times of that. So it's like a lot of things that you might even hear comics do today in clubs are like a extension or a long, long lost relative of something that John created back in the day. It's really kind of cool. Oh, you that's know, but awesome. He'll never, he'll never tell you the things he, he did. Because it doesn't matter. It does matter. It, it, it does matter. matter. <laughs> so humble. So humble, John. <laughs> he is. He no, really it's, is. It's, it's just, it's, it's, that happened and now we're here. I mean, you know, all that matters is now. How we get through now. It's just, it's now. But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, young artists should never just create your art. Just whatever it is, just create your art. Um, you're not going to like a lot of your own art years from now, but that doesn't mean you should shouldn't create it, because what will happen is those things you create will lead to the next thing that really is good. Right. So, the, like a, like a musician, you might have one or two albums that are kind of mediocre, but then you have this killer album, and then but you wouldn't have gotten to that killer album had you not worked through all these other things first True. to get right. better. That concludes part one of the interview with John and Nancy. It was an amazing time we had together. They had so many amazing stories that I had to divide this into two separate episodes. So check back for the next episode for part two. You don't want to miss the other stories that concluded in the next episode. Priscilla Pfeiffer. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please subscribe, leave a comment so I can reach more people like you. And go to sparkyourinnerfire.com. I have a special gift for you. Go check it out.